Now for today's text. Um, the whole text today will be in chapter 8 and 9 of Ecclesiastes, but we'll be reading chapter 9, verses 11 through 18, and that's on page 558 in your pew Bibles. I'll give you a second to get that open. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. You know, life is, is really complicated. Life has so many layers. Um, people have so many layers. And, and what you see on the outside of a person uh, isn't always necessarily what they are at the core of their being because we're all so shaped by circumstances in our life or situations in our life or bad relationships, terrible things happening at jobs, finances, health, all this sort of stuff that happens. And <clears throat> I, I tease about my daughters, but there's also just a, a very, very truth that's in the core of all that stuff in terms of I, I see how complicated, oh man, one of them just walked in, I might have to change. Um, <laughs> So I love my kids, and they're the best, and um, I, there's nothing to complain about them. Um, no, they're just so complicated. Each one has their own personality, and then to like unfold, trying to get to who they are and who God created them to be, you know, um, it, it takes a lot of effort in terms of just recognizing those things and then helping to shape who God created them to be as opposed to who I want them to be. You know, I was raised by a tiger mom, and so I was told how I was going to be, and I've been having to fight that all this time, you know, uh, of how I was going to parent. Um, and so we look at Ecclesiastes this morning, and we realize that, yeah, it, people are really complicated, and, and keep in mind, this book was written thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, and there are so many questions that we have answered over that time span. Over the thousands of years, we've, we've discovered a lot of answers to the many questions that we have. But on the other hand, there are a lot of questions that we don't have sufficient answers for, even though thousands of years have elapsed, such as, why are we here? I mean, it's been thousands of years, and, and science can answer a lot of questions. It can hypothesize about how we got here, but it can't answer why we are here. And if there is no why to something, then where is the meaning? 
I see some married couples here. And so you all knew how to get married. And if you don't have a why as to why you got married, that's a bummer. <laughs> like what meaning does that union, that covenant have just by knowing how to sign a piece of paper on your license and you just knew how to do it, but then there's no why behind it. Whether that's you just had a, a deep love for one another, so that's why you guys decided this. Or you had this similar passion or calling in your life and you both wanted to pursue it together. There was a, a why behind why you got married. Now, if our existence is all by chance then where is that why? Where is that meaning? And why do we ask that why question anyway? The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. The Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God, that God has given us purpose, that he has put eternity in each one of us, and that each one of us has rebelled against him. And from that, we are unable to escape this question, why are we here? Now, we're looking at two chapters this morning, and we're going to just do like a really broad stroke, especially over uh, chapter 8 uh, and we'll, we'll look into chapter 9 a little bit more. But in chapter 8, this is essentially talking to us about how the future is unknown. That there's no way to predict it. it it's unpredictable. And that's essentially what is there. Another thing that it's pointing out in chapter 8 is that life is not fair. One of the first questions that, um, or comments that I receive from my kids was, that's not fair. That's, that's something. They don't do it as much anymore because I've kind of ingrained to them. Like the very first time they brought it up, it's, it's as soon as they can speak. So it's about like, or reason these things out. So it's about three, four, maybe even earlier that they'll just say something like, that's not fair. And so then I have to like just hold their face and just tell them, look them in the eyes and say like, honey, Life is not fair. That's one of the first things you got to know about life. It's not fair. Where does this idea of fairness come from? Another thing that science can't quite explain. Well, we are moral beings. We have a morality inside of us. We have a moral philosophy within us that speaks to these whys of life to help bring meaning to things. And within each of us, this morality, we sense when there is an unfairness. We sense when there is an inequality, and we want to fight against it. We want to push back against it. We, and when we sense that things aren't fair, we, we know that it's off kilter. It's imbalanced. And so it's painfully obvious that life is not fair because bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. That's not fair. Verse 17. 
chapter 8. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. There's that term again. We'll look at that a little later. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. People are completely uncontrollable. They are completely unreliable. Another lesson um, that I've received, um, there's a a dear man, he died um, several years ago uh, by the name of Dallas Willard, and in one of the talks that I was attending, somebody asked him about children, like parenting, and the thing that he said, he's one of the greatest modern philosophers of our day, and he said, I need to share this with you. You cannot control your kids. You can't control your kids. And I've kept that in my head, which has given me lots of consolation in different nights. But so people are unreliable, people are uncontrollable, yet there's this design within community that we all need each other. And yet we're so unreliable, so uncontrollable, but that community is so important and that life is all about people and relationships, even though all of us are so messed up. And we're so messed up that we don't remember things and we don't remember people for very long and what they did and how they, they treated us unless it's bad. But if it's a good thing, like how, how that just kind of fleets, like, you know, that. And then there's this other side of that truth, too, that we won't be remembered for very long and the things that we've done won't be remembered for very long. Now, keep that in the back of your head because I want to bring up a very, very controversial subject now. And it's this thing called sin. And there are a lot of churches today that are afraid to talk about this topic as well as other topics such as judgment and hell and sin. Those are words that churches are trying to stay away from because they're very, they, they raise up people's defensive walls. They, they, they don't want to bring those words out. So they'll substitute those words for things like God will take away your shame or God will take away your guilt, or God will take away your fear. And they'll start plugging in these symptoms, but they're not pointing out the cause of those things. And so I need to tell you that guilt, shame, fear, all these different things are symptoms. They are not the cause. It's kind of like diagnosing you with a fever or a cough or something. I'm not dealing with the actual thing that's causing all of that stuff. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and 9, it is bringing the word sinner out three times. And it's not bringing out some other symptom like fear or shame or guilt. It is saying sin. Keep that in the back of your mind too. Koheleth, the preacher, the author of this book, is clearly writing that we don't know our future. That life is not fair. That we are unreliable, uncontrollable sinners. But here's the really, really, really crazy thing. Is that we think that we can figure justice and equity out when we have all of that against us. We think that. And so there's this cycleness or cycle of foolishness under the sun, meaning without God, right? Under the sun. Whenever you see that phrase, it's a code for without God. 
And so we have this cycle of foolishness under the sun where we have the same questions and we have the same answers and we continue bumping up against inequity, injustice, and we keep bumping up against this stuff. For thousands of years we've been bumping up against this stuff and it is insane to think that we can figure this stuff out knowing that we have this all against us. The definition of insanity, or one of the definitions, is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. We have thousands of years of insanity. And that's what the world is doing. We're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. How many thousands of years have to pass us by to think that we can do something different? Because it's already been several thousand. It's just never going to have the right solutions of equity, of justice, without God under the sun. It's just not going to happen. Now, let's take a look into chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Again, the future is unknown. And just think about this. How did you end up where you are today? And more than likely, none of us knew how our life would turn out, you know, 10 years ago. That if you thought about 10 years ago in your life and where you are today, you would have never thought the things that happened to you happened. So things you thought would happen didn't happen, and things you thought didn't happen would happen. Uh, about 20 years ago, I, I have this prayer going on in my head. There's four specific things that, that were going on in my head. One of them was um, I wasn't completely happy with my job, so I was wanting to have some different kind of movement in my career. Another thing was I was in pastoral school at the time, and I was wondering, hey, God, what are you going to do with my life and ministry? Because I don't want to just go to school for nothing. And I went to school, actually, because I was forced by my pastor to go to school. Um, I was at this huge, huge church in Southern California, and my pastor was also my master in Kung Fu, and I was training with him for years, many years, since I was like a teenager, I was training with this guy, and, um, and then I walk into the studio one day, and he was like, um, you're not coming to the studio anymore, I want you to go to pastoral school, and I was like, Pastor Rawl, I'm not called to go to pastoral school, and he was like, well, you're going to have to find somewhere else to go, because you're not uh, allowed to come in here anymore, said, all right, I guess I'm going to school, so I went to school. And so I had this whole ministry going on in my head. And then um, my parents were completely codependent on me because they needed my help financially. So that's, some of you heard that story where me and my dad reconciled um, after eight years of not talking to him and being uh, away from him. And he called me up out of the blue saying, hey, I'm going to be kicked out on the street if you don't move back, if you don't move into my room with me. And I was like... What? And I, so I was in the bunk bed that I grew up in. He was on the top bunk and I was on the bottom bunk and it was like the most strange thing. But anyway, God used that. The fourth thing was I was dating this girl for four and a half years since college and then right after college. And I thought for sure, um, we're going to get married. Like things are good. We're, we both love God. We both love each other. We both love our families. I, at least I loved hers. I don't know if she loved mine. Um, and so she lived in Milpitas. You know, we went to college together in Southern California. She moved back home to, to the Bay Area. And I'm praying, God, what are you going to do? Those four prayers. And then just like in, he answered everything. I got promoted in my job uh, to, to 
different field within investment management. I was making more than five times what I used to make before. So then I could start like weaning my parents off of the codependency and like setting things up there. I got an answer to the, to the ministry thing because um, a friend of mine had a Bible study in Berkeley. I was part of that. And so I felt like, oh, ministry life is great. Things are taken off. And then um, so those three things were answered. And then there was the fourth thing. God, you're, you're bringing me to the Bay Area. Like, this is obvious. We're, of course we're getting married. So I'm going all over L.A., the jewelry district and stuff, and shopping for diamonds and all this kind of stuff, and I buy this awesome ring. Ready to propose. Move up here. Talking to her parents and getting ready to propose. And then God's like, no. You're going to break up with her. I was like, what? Things are good. I love this girl. She loves me. We want to do ministry together. What, what are you talking about? We've done mission trips. We went to South America to do mission trips together. And what, what's going on with this? Like, this is weird. So I'm, I'm going over this stuff for like months in my head. Like, how... I need to pray through this. I need to fast about this. I need to talk to people about this in my life. And I need to, to sort all this stuff through. But every single time, I was like, no, you're, you're not going to marry her. And I just couldn't understand it because everything's great. So I finally get up the nerve to, to, to break up with her. So I go to her and I'm like, hey, um, this is going to be so weird. And so out of left field. But God doesn't want us together. And then she had this humongous crack of a smile just come across her face. I was like, what in the world is that? Big old smile on her face. And she was like, I've been feeling the same thing for the past several months. And I just didn't know how to talk about it with you. And so... We broke up, and that was it. Um, sometimes the things that we have planned out, even though they're good, they don't work out. And sometimes the things that you, you, you don't plan, they just happen. So Katie and I got married, and we actually um, didn't, plan to have children biologically our plan was we were going to go into foster this foster system and adopt kids that's what our plan was things are a little different like we didn't plan on having four biological kids but here they are and the fostering and the adopting is still in our hearts. We just don't have the capacity to do it yet. But once we feel the capacity to do it, I think we're going to venture that way and, and start going down that route. Um, but again, the things you plan don't always turn out. Lord, please, no more. The person you're married to or thinking about marrying, the job that you have or the thing that you want, the school you go to or the school that you think you want to go to, so much of it is really unknown 
until you find yourself there. And then you kind of wonder, like, how in the world? Tomorrow is so unknown. Things change so fast with just a little bit of news. Aren't we all living that right now with Jane? Right? She, with her late stage cancer and you know, like, aren't we all kind of, we know this. We're living this. I was just talking to a, a friend um, and a neighbor of theirs. Uh, her mother just suddenly died. And it was a complete freakish accident. Her mother actually was a, a triathlete, healthy driving back from a triathlon and a deer jumped through the windshield and hit her and killed her. We don't know tomorrow. You can be the healthiest person in the world and you're gone. Just a few nights ago, I received a call from uh, a loved one in my life uh, and she had to check herself into the ER because she had immense pain in her abdomen. She's, she's fine now, but things changed so quickly for me that night. And I was up till like 4.30 in the morning just praying for her and getting updates and then checking in with the family and all this kind of stuff. See, see nothing, nothing is for sure. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to turn out the way that we think it will turn out, let alone next week next month, and most likely it'll be different than what you and I thought it would turn out to be. Why do things happen the way that they do? And oftentimes we just don't know. Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? It's a mysterious thing. Verse 2, it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil to the clean and unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. This is an evil that is done without God. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. So you live your life without God and then you all end up in the same place. Everyone dies. And we have some very, very serious flaws so it's not a surprise that people can't see God for who He really is because sin is a greater flaw than we could ever imagine. And one of the greatest misunderstandings we have about God is due to the fact that we think wrongly about Him. So, people disbelieve God so that they can justify how they live and what they do that is contrary to living a faithful obedience to God. Verses 4 through 6, But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I actually really like that phrase. It's very, you know, you can go talk to somebody. Living dog's better than a dead lion. You know, when things are going... Watch, be quiet. I'm going to use that to my kids sometime. Living dogs are better than a dead lion. 
whatever that. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Again, under the sun. If this is what you believe, then this is it. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Once you're gone, you are gone. If you're believing that you're doing life without God. You're gone, you're gone. Now here's something that all of us can agree with. Whether you believe you in God or not believe in God. We all know that we end up dead. All of us. Now, if you don't know this, I'm letting you know now, you will end up dead. Another thing we all know is that the future is unknown. We can't explain why things happen the way that they do, and we can try, but then these explanations don't seem to be quite sufficient. Now, death is something that is actually helpful in a way in that it helps us make sense of life. And because of this deadline, because of death, hopefully we can better appreciate life. And it makes things real in this reality that we face life and death. So so why are we here? The Bible tells us that we are made by a creator in his image, who desires to know us and for us to know him. He does know us, and so in our creation, it is so that we know him. And so that we will one day come before him, give an account of our lives, and to know him more intimately. Yet, we look for all other answers as to these why questions, but but many of Many people don't actually like the one that Christianity provides to them that we were created because he wants us to know him who created him or who created us. Verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Hey, this is sounding good. Right? This is finally good news in Ecclesiastes. Let your garments always be, uh, be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head so in other words look good and smell good right oil in your head smell good always looking white looking sharp right so eat drink be merry look good smell good enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the this is where it changes all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun all the vain, that, which is really interesting, he, God, that gave you without God. It's kind of weird. It's a poetic kind of thing. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in hell, to which you are going. <laughs> Whoa, wait. So... Verses 7 through 9 and a half, it seems like it's going in a pretty good direction. Like, yeah, this is, this is good. This is um, pretty good. Until you get to 9.5, and it says, all the days of your vain life, and you're like, wait. wait. And then that phrase, under the sun, right? When, when we come to that phrase, as we have many times in this study, we know that that is code for leaving God out. 
without God. So you can just plug that phrase in there whenever you come into that, that term. And so the preacher essentially wrote, life is vain. It is meaningless under the sun. It's meaningless without God. When God's not part of it, it is a meaningless thing. So he starts out really, really good in verse 7. Eat, drink, be merry, look good, smell good, enjoy your life with your wife. And by the way, do all that with a meaningless life. Enjoy every pleasure that you can possibly enjoy because your days are numbered. And if there isn't a God, you might as well enjoy life to the fullest because you know what? That's all you get. Then you're dead. You might as well just live in the now. Get all you want. Because if death is at the end of everything, you might as well live it up. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Unpredictable, unknown, futures unknown. For man does not know his time. That poor woman did not know that was her time driving back home from a triathlon. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. Wisdom without God. And it seemed great to me. It sounded good. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So you would think they're toast, right? But there, was a, but there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. So, what is it saying? That poor, wise man inside the city saved the city. He did an amazing thing. He did things against all odds. All odds. Came out victorious. But this is under the sun, right? This is without God. So this is what happens without God. You do a fantastic work, like saving a city. But the sad thing is, it's just a matter of time before everyone forgets. Because it's all temporary. And it's just moved on. So you and I don't know a lot of great things that have happened in human history because people have just forgotten to preserve it and they've just moved on. That's life under the sun. That's life without God. There is no everlasting value to it because what we do under the sun without God, it won't be remembered because life is not fair. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All of this pointing to not knowing the future. Except we know that death awaits us. That one we know. That future we know. And rather than consider what happens beyond life here, we tend to focus on all the temporary things, all the temporary pleasures, and all the temporary living of life here, not realizing there's a deadline. Now, if you guys did realize that you were going to die in a month, you would probably live your life a lot different. 
If you knew your deadline, you live your life different. When you have a project due at work, when you have an exam coming up, you study, you work at getting something done. The deadline helps you appreciate life. Now, we all know that there's a deadline. We just don't know when that is. But how are you living your life now? Are you preparing for that time? You see, thousands and thousands of years have passed for humanity for us to figure some things out, to figure out justice, to figure out inequality. Yet here we are, full of injustice, full of inequality, still discontent, anxious, restless, still wrestling with things in our society that people wrestled with for thousands of years. Why is it that we are so self-reliant? That we think that we can provide all the answers when we don't even know our future except that you're going to die. Why do we think that? Why do we think this when we know that life is not fair? Why do we think this? And ultimately, things are meaningless because they are so temporary. We don't know our future. But if we know we are created in the image of God by God and that we were made to be in relationship with Him, in communion with Him, celebrating in what we have here right now makes so much more sense because God has an everlasting future for you and me. That it's not just a temporary thing that we carry it into eternity, that He has planned eternity for us, and, and we know why we are here, to be in relationship with Him, for us to know Him more, to know His grace, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness for us, that through Jesus' death we can experience this everlasting life. It's not a temporary thing. And that we can live this life here more fully, knowing that this is just our shell. This is, we're just aliens coming through here. We're just sojourners coming through here. That this death thing is a, a, a temporary stop for us to keep moving into everlasting. The most obvious thing is in this world is that people are forgotten. People are not remembered. You are never forgotten by God. For everlasting, He knows you by name. He knows the very, heads on, the very hairs on your head. He just wants you to realize who He is in, in exchange for that. To live in this loving relationship with Creator God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I want to specifically lift up people who are distant from you, who have walked away from you. We, we are moral beings and, and we have a sense of conviction within us. But hopefully, God, this is more than just conviction. This is more than just receiving knowledge and a philosophy of life. That, God, this is indeed transforming us into your image. God, I also want to lift up those who don't know you at all, that haven't faithfully asked you, Jesus, to be reigning over their life to experience something beyond this life into everlasting and i pray god that any 
defensive walls that may have erected or any pride would be suppressed and that there would be a courage and a boldness implanted in that person to have a posture towards walking towards you. That they would but submit just for a moment to experience your Holy Spirit filling their life and that they would be changed. I ask that in complete faith, God, just hoping that it will happen because we know that the future is unknown and it's unsure except for death and yet walking with you not under the sun but getting out of this cycle of foolishness that all this freedom and how we live opens up to us. So God, would you work in the hearts of those who don't know you and who are distant from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.